that we've been on. And we're on part 12. Now, it hasn't been 12 consecutive weeks because we've had a few uh, pauses. But uh, it's hard to believe that we've been studying 12 weeks in one letter, in one book. But it's so important to connect with our our theme for this year, which is uh, one accord, finding unity and harmony within the church. It's so important with our vision to bring life to our community, that it would be brought to life in our own spirits, in our own uh, spiritual formation, and, and that we would be seeing people in our community be brought to life, just like we heard 13 teenagers in Long Lack experiencing salvation, that we would see salvation in our community. And uh, it's just exciting. And it's been an awesome journey. The first three chapters, just to kind of catch us up to speed, the first three chapters of Ephesians... Is, is Paul basically teaching on theology. He's teaching some deep truths in theology about who Jesus is. He's beginning to unpack this story of what God is doing in the lives of this uh, new group, this new community that he's shaping. He's, he's talked about the fact that God has adopted Jew and Gentile into his family, that we as Gentiles, as outsiders, have been adopted into his family through Christ. He's been wrestling through this idea that we have this inheritance in Christ, that, that there are that we are made alive in Christ. This is in Christ is this continual theme that he talks about that we've been made alive, that we once were dead in our sins, in our transgressions. But because of Christ, we've been made alive in Him. And He's been wrestling through this whole new community that God's creating as we go from independent Jew, Gentile to one people. And he's been drawing us together. And then after chapter 3, there's this change in tone that Paul writes and he changes from the, the theological to the practical. And he starts saying, now this is what happened to you. Your old life is gone. Your new life is here. Now how do you live that out in this new community of followers? And he says, well, let me help you understand that. So he begins to talk about how we have to find unity within the community, how we have to walk in love and walk in light, how we're changed and transformed and we need to become unified with one another. And as he continues this thought, he says, and we talked about last week, he says, and there's some relationship changes that happen because this is what the culture says, but this is what the new community looks like. He says, it's going to change because we submit to one another out of reverence or fear of God, that we submit to each other. And as we submit to each other, it's going to change our marriage relationship. It's going to change our family relationship. It's going to change our work relationship because we're not looking for our own self-satisfaction, but we're looking to serve and to love and to submit to others. And then Paul kind of gets to this climb, uh, this height point, this peak point in the letter when he says, now all of this happens but there is something that's taking place around you. This is the perfect picture. And it's so awesome. And it's so good. But there's a battle that's happening around you. And it's not a physical battle with, with human and, in human visual in our sight. It's a spiritual battle. He says this battle is significant because it, what it's trying to do is to erode this new community that God's creating. And he's created within us. So we're going to uh, really transition our focus into this spiritual battle. This 
Uh, and Paul gives us instructions on how we live out this life in this spiritual battle. So this is where we're going to go this morning. The, uh, the title, if you want to, on your sheet, is The Armor of God. We're going to look at Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10. To get us started, I'm a bit of a World War II lover. I love hearing stories about World War II. Uh, I don't know why I'm fascinated by it. Uh, my grandfather fought in the war, but he would never share any stories about his experience at war. And in fact, if you asked him, he would be very quiet about it. Uh, I didn't really know a whole lot about his adventures at war until after he passed several years later when my grandmother uh, gave my uncle his uh, his service book and his medallions. And we were able to begin to see a little bit more about this war. So it's very fascinating. When I was in Cambridge, I spent time with uh, several uh, seniors that were uh, war vets, or they were children at war during World War II. They were in Holland when the bombings were taking place. And to hear the story, it just fascinates me. When I was in high school, my family went over to visit my uncle who was stationed in the, in the army in uh, Holland. And we got a chance to tour around some of the sites of World War II they, where they preserved the, the ditches and this. And it's just an incredible, for me, this piece of history that's so exciting. Well, there's this moment in World War II in the fall of 1944 when there's this battle that's been taking place and, and there's this, this incredible uh, loss of life and this world war that's been happening and, and Germany has begun to be beaten back within its borders. The Nazis' uh, war machine was nearly destroyed. There were repeated bombing raids by the Allies that would uh, assure Hitler and his forces would never rise again. It's kind of the end point nearing the end of the war and they think that they've got it all finished and, and they've put a perimeter around Germany and everything is going as supposed to to end the war. The Allies began to spread thin their borders around the, the, the country because they knew that it was it, certain that it was over. The bombings would take us. Everything was kind of coming to an end. Victory looked like it was obtainable. And all across Europe, there was celebration. It's over. The war is going to be done. The war is going to be finished. But there was a small problem. In the fall of 1944, no one told Germany that the war was over. You see, the Allies believed it was over and they were celebrating like it was over. But the enemy was not convinced that it was over. In fact, uh, as his forces were being shattered and driven back, Hitler was devising a plan for one last onslaught. Underground factories churned out weapons and ammunition, and they were still enlisting young men and older men and, and training them to fight in the war. As what looked like everything was done, Hitler was planning an attack. On December 16th, 1944, Hitler's army began the Ardennes Offense, or also known as the Battle of the Bulge. Over a million men fought about 85 mi uh, mile front. And finally, the war ended June tw January 25th, 19... The fight ended, sorry, January 25th, 1945. And hundreds of men were killed because someone forgot 
that the enemy was still fighting. You see, in our relationship, in our journey, in our life, as we become this new community, there's an enemy that has lost, but is still fighting. He's still doing everything he can to erode the new community that God is building. And much like, like the, the allied forces, sometimes we as the church, we celebrate and put our guard down, yet the enemy is working underneath, trying to destroy what God is creating. Attempting to ruin the community, attempting to ruin the church. And we let our guard down and sometimes we're caught off guard. N.T. Wright, the author of the commentary that I've been studying through, writes this. Paul clearly supposes that the forces of evil that put Jesus on the cross have been seriously upset by the victory of the resurrection. They are now positively panic-stricken at the thought that the message of Jesus is everywhere challenging their power and their authority. While Christ has won the victory, the war is not over. And Paul gives us instructions that there's a battle that's happening and that God supplies us with wisdom and supplies us with armor to wear to fight the battle as individuals and as the church, as as the community. And we're going to wrestle through that this morning, what it looks like. Luch, in his commentary, says he is the evil one. Paul calls him the devil. His goal is to turn out the lights in the hearts and soul, in the heart and soul of every human being. And his strategy is to distance men and women from each other and from God. He knows that this will cause them to turn from the light of God's truth and be plunged into darkness, that he knows it'll cause him to turn from the light of God's truth and be plunged into darkness. He leads captives into the dark and gets them hooked on all kinds of things so that they, so that, so that, so that, sorry, so that will keep them there. So that will keep them there. There's an, an enemy, the devil, as Paul talks about in Ephesians, that's trying to erode the new community that God's building, that's trying to destroy followers of Jesus, that's trying to take away us who have been made alive in Christ to get us sucked into darkness and lose the light. And sometimes that happens because we let our guard down. And there is a battle, and it's real. There is a spiritual battle that is taking place, and it is real. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. If you want to turn there, we're going to read this and then we're going to dig through. A final word, he sa- Paul says, Be strong with the Lord's mighty power. Put on all, the armor of God, the, uh, all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies and tricks of the devil. Verse 12. For we are not fighting against people made of flesh, and blood, but against the evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against those mighty powers of darkness who rule this world, and against wicked spirits in the heavenly realms. Use every piece of God's armor to resist the enemy in the time of evil, so that after the battle you will be standing firm. Stand your ground, 
putting on the sturdy belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In every battle, you will need faith as your shield to stop the fiery arrows aimed at you by Satan. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Pray at all times and on every occasion in the power of the Holy Spirit. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all Christians everywhere. Paul begins to paint this picture that there is a spiritual battle. And we're going to talk about standing firm in the battle, in the spiritual battle. And Paul urges us as the church, urges us as followers of Jesus to stand firm. What does that mean? To affix or to dig our heels in and not be moved. To uh, like a, maybe a child who uh, is, is nervous or scared around people. They cling to dad or mom's leg and they're standing firm they're not moving you know oftentimes you see the parent having to do this walk around with the child on their leg because they're scared they're standing firm in place and paul's saying church you need to stand firm you need to dig those heels in you need to stand firm and you need to be ready for the battle but you don't have to do it alone because god's going to provide the armor that you wear and he's going to have more and more See, stand firm in the battle is what I want to talk about this morning. Paul writes these words. He says, therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will be standing firm because you've put on the armor. You'll be standing firm after the battle. So when it's all said and done, you will have stood firm because you've put on the armor and you haven't got lazy or lackadaisical, but you've been firm and you've stood your ground, you'll still be standing firm. Stand your ground, Paul says. We need to stand in the battle and Paul gives us some instructions, some insight and some help and how we can stand firm in the battle. How we can stand our ground, how we can dig our heels in and how we can stand firm. So let's look at them this morning. The first thing I'd like to suggest about standing firm is that we need to connect ourselves to the main line of power. Paul says you need to stand firm, but in verse 10, before he gets to that point of saying stand firm, he gives us this great insight. He says a final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Connect to the main line of power, which is God. Don't try and do it by yourself. You will lose if you try to fight by yourself. I guarantee it. But stand firm and be connected to the main line of power, connected to God. Because if not, we're just going to be thrown away, we're thrown around, we're going to lose because we don't understand. Stand firm to the main line of power. Who will you rely on? Will you fall back to your old patterns? Or will you stand firm in who God is and what He's done in your life? The main line of power being connected. Paul is urging Christians to stop relying on their own strength and power and press in and rely on the strength that's given by Holy Spirit. To rely on His power 
to rely on His power. And when we rely on His power, it, it, it then it gives us this push. And Paul says, not just rely on His power, but you must take an active role as you begin to move forward. You rely on His power and you take a step. You take this active role. And Paul says it this way. Put on. So now we have to do something, right? We can't, if you don't just stand there and say, if someone says, put on your clothes, you don't just stand there and hope your clothes magically jump onto you. I think sometimes my kids think that. I think sometimes when we say, you know, okay guys, time to go upstairs and get dressed for school, that they're just going to walk upstairs and walk through the door and go, and they're going to come out and all dressed. And it doesn't work that way. You have to put your clothes on. If anybody figures out how that works, please tell me. It would make morning so much easier. Seriously, I'm ready to go. Kids, go get ready. Put on, Paul says, you have to take an active role. That You, you can't just sit back and, and just expect this all to happen and not do anything about it. Because here's what happens. When you just sit back and expect it all to happen, then things start to pass by you and you begin to let your guard down. And you're not putting on the armor and you're not doing what God's challenging, calling us and instructing us to do. And then we're just sitting there ready to be pinged off. Dart. You must put on, it says, put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against the strategies of the devil. You have to put it on. You have to take an active role and you need to put it on for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world that we don't see them that it's not like i'm looking across the room and can see you sitting right there like i can see all of you and your faces are so lovely this morning i can see you but no i can't see it's not flesh and blood enemies it's it's against evil rulers and authorities the unseen world that there is spiritual warfare that there is a spiritual battle that's taking place and we need god's armor in order to fight that we need to put it on we can't just expect all of a sudden it's on it's not a movie or a tv show that we need to put it on against rulers and authorities of the unseen world against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places there's a spiritual warfare that's happening therefore again not another active rule therefore put on every piece of god's armor so that you will be able to to resist the enemy in the time of evil put on Put on every piece of god's armor not just the pieces that you like not just the pieces that are most comfortable Put on all of God's armor, active role. As a hockey coach, I'm responsible for my players to have all of the equipment on when they go on the ice. So every practice, every game, usually every game more than practice, I stand in the room and I say, all right, kids, are you guys ready to play? And I get a, they're all excited and they're ready to go. I say, everyone got their helmets on? Yes! Everyone got their mouth guards on? Yes! Everyone got their neck guards on? And there's always one kid. No! And they have to put their neck guard on. Sometimes we think that we can just pick and choose what we want. Most times, hockey players don't want to wear neck guards because they're uncomfortable or they don't like it or it's too bulky or it doesn't look cool. The NHL doesn't wear them. But you've got to wear all of the equipment. It protects your neck from skates. Anyways, we're not going to go there. But you've got to wear all the equipment. The same way, Paul's saying, Friends, you got to put it all on, every piece. 
You can't just like the, the belt and like the shoes and the shield and forget about the breastplate and the helmet. Or, I love the sword. But not putting... You have to put every piece of armor on to fight against this battle. You must take an active role. We must put on. We must make a choice to, to step in and to put on, so to speak, the armor of God to protect us. And we're going to walk through what that armor looks like so that we can know how to put this armor on. To stand in the battle, we must make God our main line of power. But not only that, we must be dressed for battle. We must be dressed for battle. We must put on the armor of God. We must be dressed for battle. Stand your ground, Paul says. Putting on the belt of truth, the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Here is the armor. And maybe you've uh, walked through this in a Sunday school lesson. Maybe you've had uh, images or pictures. If I could have got my hands on some uh, old armor, I would have wore it this morning. But it's hard to find. Nobody wants to loan it out. But Paul's urging and challenging and telling us as the church we need to put on and be dressed for battle. So he talks about these different pieces of armor. And I just want to highlight them quickly. I want to look at them for a moment just so that we can maybe get a bit of an understanding of what he's talking about. Because sometimes we look at this and say, oh, that's great, but what does it really mean? How do, what, I don't get it. I don't know. What, what is it all about? Well, let's, let's kind of take it piece by piece quickly here. The first one that Paul talks about is the belt of truth. The belt of truth. Now, that's that belt that goes around the waist. And, and it's one of the most important pieces of, piece of the armor because it holds everything in place. Truth is so important in our lives. Truth, absolute truth, which is seeming to be uh, pushed away by our culture. It says there's no absolute truth, but the reality is there is an absolute truth. Pilate asked Jesus, who is truth? Or what is truth? That truth, this belt, keeps everything in place. As a warrior, if they didn't have the belt on, the rest of their armor would kind of be flopping around. The belt keeps everything in place. When the belt was fashioned, fastened, sorry, the soldier was on duty, ready to fight. When that belt was in place and fastened, they were on duty, they were ready to fight. But a slackened belt meant off-duty. Christians, however, must face each day with a fastened belt, ready to fight the battle when needed. The belt of truth. What is truth? Why truth? Jesus told us in John 14, I am the way, the truth. What is truth? Jesus is truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. I am truth. When the Spirit of truth, John 16, when the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. The Holy Spirit will guide us. 
will direct us in all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future, the spirit of truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. This truth is so essential in the armor. It is foundational that we understand the truth. That there is an absolute truth. That there is an absolute truth. The belt of truth keeps everything in place. Paul then shifts from the belt of truth to the breastplate of righteousness or the body armor of righteousness, depending on your translation. And this breastplate of, this breastplate would cover the body and all the vital organs. It would kind of cover this upper half and protect your lungs, your heart, all those vital organs to keep you safe from uh, lunges of darts or, or swords. It's this protection piece. Righteousness provides a significant defense. It gives the evidence that we have been made right with God and that this righteousness has been given by the Holy Spirit. First John says this, but if we confess our sins to Him, who's Him? God. He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us of all wickedness. To cleanse us of all wickedness. The breastplate of righteousness then does a couple of things for us. The breastplate of righteousness puts us in agreement with God about sin that we recognize and we confess to Him that it protects our heart, our vital organs. God has united us with Christ Jesus for our benefit. God made Him to be wisdom itself. God made Him to be wisdom itself. Christ made us right with God. He made us pure and holy. And He freed us from our sin. That the breastplate of righteousness puts us in agreement with God about our sin. That we need to confess. It doesn't mean that we won't sin. But we need to confess and recognize and turn from it in our lives. The breastplate of righteousness also protects us from the accuser. It guards us. It protects us protects us from the accuser. Who dares, Paul says in Romans, who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for His own? No one. For God Himself has given us right standing with Himself. It protects us from that finger pointing that the enemy tries to point at you. But what about what you did? No. I'm covered. You can't speak to my heart. I've got the breastplate of righteousness and the belt holding it in place. I'm protecting my vital organs and yet when he tries to speak to us, we can defend. When he tries to to, to remind us, we can defend. We can remember that he is greater being God. So this breastplate of righteousness, belt of truth, breastplate of righteousness, Paul then talks about these shoes of the gospel of peace. Now, shoes. Everybody loves shoes, right? Everyone's closets are full of shoes, aren't they? No, just mine. Okay. My shoes. I love shoes. Talks about shoes of the gospel of peace. We can stand firm in peace even in battle because we know we are doing right and on the winning side, on God's side. In fact, these shoes they often talk about in armor in Roman time were these sandals, but they had like spikes on them so that they could really dig into the ground and they could stand firm. That we have this peace 
the peace that passes all understanding. In fact, Colossians, Paul writes, and let, us, and let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. Let that peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom that he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. Let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your heart. That we can put on these shoes of peace because we know that that as Isaiah prophesied about the Messiah, the Prince of Peace, that we have peace in Christ, the peace that passes all understanding. Put on this belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of the gospel of peace, and then what every boy loves to play with as they're younger, the shield and the swords we're going to talk about, but the shield of faith, that shield that we can use to defend ourselves, to protect ourselves. Now, there's some discussion. Some pictures paint the shield as this, you know, like He-Man type shield, Captain America, small little shield. Then there's other images of the big shield, the kind of four feet high that you would walk behind that you see in uh, front lines of war battle. And Paul's saying, take the shield of faith, this, I would say, this full shield to protect yourself. Take the shield of faith. So faith comes from hearing, that is, hearing the good news about Christ. Remember, the shield is to protect us from the fiery darts. Faith is total dependence on God and a willingness to do His will. It's not something we put on for a show as a sh- on for a show for others. It's believing in his promises even though we don't see those promises materializing just yet. But we have this faith in this shield and we put on this faith we have this shield of faith and faith comes from hearing that is hearing the good news about Christ. Or consequently in the new international version faith comes from hearing the message. The message is heard through the word about Christ. That we hear the word increase our faith when we read the scriptures out loud. When we hear God's word spoken, it brings faith. Faith to believe that God is who he said he is. And that he's going to do all that he's promised to do. But we take this shield of faith to stand firm so that we can protect ourselves from the darts, so that we can be safe and protected because we have faith that God is in control and that God is who He said He is. And that when we proclaim and we say that, that He's won the battle, that He's conquered sin in the grave and death, that we stand firm in faith, believing that God is who He said He is. And then Paul transitions from the belt, breastplate, shoes, shield. I skipped one, didn't I? The helmet of salvation. He gets to the helmet of salvation. There's lots of people that say that the biggest battlefield is the six inches between your ears with your mind trying to reason things out, trying to think things through, trying to have all the answers, trying to understand everything. Put this 
helmet of salvation to protect yourself. But let us who live in the light be clear-headed, protected by the armor of faith and love, and wearing as our helmet the confidence of our salvation. The confidence of our salvation. The belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation. And Paul lastly says this, the sword of the Spirit. The only offensive weapon in the whole armor is the sword. And the sword is the Word of God. The spoken Word. Taking up the sword of the Spirit is more than just reading your Bible. It means memorize. It's more than just reading. It's more than just memorizing. It's speaking the Word of God. It's speaking the truth. Remember when Jesus was tempted, He spoke the truth, the Word. He didn't speak fragments of the Word or pieces of it, which the accuser, the enemy, used to try to manipulate. He spoke the truth, the Word of God. To stand firm in the battle, we must make God the main line of power. We must be fully dressed in God's armor, the armor of God. And this one here, sometimes I think we forget about, and Paul never said that this is a, a, a piece of the armor, but it's an important connection to and continues on the thought. He says we need to have the protective power of prayer. Now prayer is not, like I said, it's not a piece of the armor per se, but it carries on the thought of verse 17 when we read in verse 18 that pray in the Spirit at all all times and on every occasion. Pray in the Spirit at all times. He's just listed that, that we need to connect to the main line of power, that we need to be connected to God, that we need to, to be not independent, doing it on our own, but we need to be connected to God. Then he gives us this order of what to put on to be ready and dressed for battle. And he says, now you need to be praying at all times and on in every occasion. You need to be praying at all times in every occasion. Occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Not just here or there, but everywhere for all believers. Stay alert and be persistent and to pray on all occasions. Luch, in his commentary, says Paul is urging God's community to pray that every believer and believing community will be what God has called them to be in the world. That God has called them to be in the world. The prayer is that as a community, they will know the breadth and depth of God's love and express that love continually towards others and to the world around them. That they would continually express love. God's love. He goes on to say, naturally, one of... None of this is possible without the Spirit. Throughout the letter, the letter that Paul writes to the church in Ephesus and surrounding areas, he has emphasized the Spirit's role in transforming and empowering God's community to be the new humanity. Prayer is a spirit activity, is a spirit 
activity. It is God the Spirit who empowers His community to pray. It is God's, God the Spirit who pow- empowers His community to pray. Although this verse is not naming a piece of armor, it is important that we read it with it and understand that as we put on the armor, we still need to pray on all occasions. We need to pray in the Spirit. What does that help us with? When we pray in the Spirit, the Spirit helps us when we pray. When we pray in the Spirit, the Spirit actually helps us when we pray. Romans talks about it. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for. But the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. That the Spirit helps us when we pray. Not only that, but the Spirit prays on our behalf. The end, verse 27 of chapter 8 in Romans. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. That when we pray in the Spirit, the Spirit helps us when we pray. The Spirit prays on our behalf that He makes petition to God or groanings uh, that cannot be expressed in words, but the Father knows the heart of the Spirit and what He's saying. The Spirit also makes God accessible. Also makes God accessible. In Ephesians chapter 2, we talked about it earlier. Now all this can come to, now all of us sorry, can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. This, the Spirit, makes God accessible. And lastly, the Spirit gives us confidence. He gives us confidence when we pray. The Spirit gives us confidence when we pray. Romans 8. So you have not received a Spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's Spirit when He adopted you as His own children. You received God's Spirit when He adopted you as His own children. Now, we call Him Abba Father. For His Spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. Paul says it similarly in Galatians. And because we are His children, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, prompting us to call out Abba father when we pray in the spirit the spirit helps us when we pray the spirit prays on our behalf the spirit makes god accessible and the spirit gives us confidence when we pray we must put on the whole armor of god to stand firm in the battle we must be connected to the main line of power which is god we need to put on his armor and we need to be praying and be persistent in prayer The power of prayer. Praying in the Spirit. Worship team, if you want to come this morning to close, I want to share this commentary thought from N.T. Wright. He says these words. Sometimes this attack, meaning the spiritual battle, sometimes this attack will take the frontal form of tactical authorities in towns and cities who try to prevent Christians from spreading the message. So he's saying, sometimes it could look like this. Sometimes, this spiritual battle, it will take 
the more oblique form of persuading Christians to invest time and energy in irrelevant side issues or to become fascinated by distorted teaching. So sometimes it could be about people oppressing you or, 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 or the towns or the, the, the leaders. And sometimes it's just distraction that we get, waste our energy on these other side issues that we waste our time with or fascinated by distorted teaching. Then he says this, sometimes this attack, this battle, will be simply the age-old temptations of money, sex, and power. But in each case, what individuals and the whole church must do is, and he gives three steps here, first, you need to recognize that the attacks are coming. That there is a spiritual battle, friends. And that there will be attacks in our lives. That that as as a part of this new community that God is creating, that God has developed in part of His church, as His children, there will be attacks. We first have to recognize that attacks are coming. And they could look like any one of those three that we just talked about. We have to recognize that there are attacks coming. Second, he says, to learn how to put on the complete armor which God offers. That we have to put on the whole armor of God. Not just a part of it, not just one or two things that we like. But we put on the, bre- the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of the gospel of peace, the helmet of salvation. We take up the shield of faith and we hold the sword of truth. The word, the sword of the Spirit. He says that's the second thing. And third, we have to stand firm and undismayed. That we dig our heels in and we stand firm because we know the battle's coming. But we're dressed and we're ready to go. And we're going to stand firm and we're going to pray in the Spirit and we're going to pray on all occasions, and we're going to pray for all believers everywhere, and we're going to pray that God's church would continue to grow, that we would build His church, because we're walking in unity, and we know that this battle is going to take place, but we are going to be standing firm. So my question is this this morning. My question is this. If we know there's a battle, if we know there's a battle and we we talk about it and we believe that there is a battle and there is, have we become like the allied forces in World War II and become so preoccupied with celebrating the victory that we've become lax to the attack, that we've loosened our belts, And then we've let our guard down. And we're not prepared. How can we stand firm? How can we dig our heels in? Put on the armor. And stand firm. Pray in the spirit. And see God move in incredible ways. So where are you at? Where have you been? I'd encourage you this morning, if you've kind of become a little lax, a little 
relax, to reshift your focus for a moment. Make a decision to dig your heels in, to connect to the main line of power, to put on the armor, and to be ready to pray, pray in the Spirit, and be ready to fight. Would you stand with me across this room?